We're in Romans chapter 9 this morning. We took a week off and did that sort of special service and special message last week. And, and we're going to do that again. Every couple months, we're going to roll out just a message on an Old Testament book. Uh, but we're back in Romans today, traveling through the book of Romans. And we've come to Romans chapter 9. And even though this chapter is primarily about the nation of Israel... What we as Christians need to do with the Word of God in its entirety is figure out what is this passage of Scripture, what is this chapter, what is this verse saying to me? What what personally is God trying to teach me or inform me about? Because if we don't make the Word of God practical or personal, then we really will not ever develop an ongoing, sustaining relationship with this great book, the Bible, that God has given to us. We've got to learn how to make it personal, how how to allow it to speak to us. And hopefully by the way I teach on Tuesday and Sunday and how we encourage people to get into the Word of God and grow, that that, that's becoming more and more uh, true in your life. That as you approach the Word of God, no matter what the passage is talking about, You're asking God to, first of all, help you understand it and comprehend it. And then you're asking God to help you figure out what God are you speaking to me about. So even though this is about the nation of Israel, I want to show us today how this great chapter really does speak to us on a personal, practical level. If you want to take an outline or you're the kind of person that likes to outline things, let me give that to you right up front. In chapter 9, the first three verses, we're going to talk about the passion of Paul. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, the passion of Paul. Then in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 9, we're going to see the privileges of Israel. The privileges of Israel. Then from verse 6 all the way through the rest of the chapter, we're going to talk about the purpose of God. The purpose of God. We live in a world today even amongst those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, where people are struggling to find purpose and meaning and fulfillment in life. I mean, there's even a lot, like I said, of of Christians who like, I don't really know why I was born. I, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why God made me the way that he did. In fact, even in verse 20 of Romans chapter 9, Paul's quoting here from the Old Testament, and he says, why have you made me like this? That's a question that many Christians struggle with. We talked a little bit about that even last week from the book of Job. God, why am I the way that I am? What's going to give me meaning in this life? Why was I born? What is my purpose for being here? And in Romans chapter 9, though this is not going to be an exhaustive study of that, I think Paul does lay down for us in Romans chapter 9 some some great principles and great truth from God that can help us find meaning and purpose to our everyday existence, especially as followers of Jesus Christ. And the first one is in the first three verses of Romans 9, the passion that Paul had for people, for others. And this was all precipitated by the fact that Paul's fellow Jews were questioning his love for his own people, the Jews. 
because he had chosen Jesus Christ over Judaism. And he was taking the gospel, the good news of God, to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. And so there were many Jewish people that were saying, Paul, do you really love your own people? Do you really care about them? And notice what Paul says in the first three verses. He says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. He's calling on Christ himself to be the judge and witness. He says, for my conscience assures me in the Holy Spirit. In other words, along with the Holy Spirit, I have a double witness here. And he says that I have great sorrow, grief, mourning, and unceasing anguish, consuming pain in my heart. For he says, I could wish. It's as if Paul's saying, if this could be true, I'd be willing for it to be true. That I myself were accursed. That's a strong word. The word means doomed to destruction. It's as as if Paul was saying, look, if somehow it was possible for me to be cut off from Christ for eternity, and that every other of my fellow Jews would come to believe in Jesus Christ as their Messiah, he says, I'd be willing to do that. Wow. That's, that's love for others. That's a passion for others. He says, I could wish that I myself were a curse, cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, my fellow countrymen. Too often in this life, we, we try to find our purpose and meaning personally by concentrating on us. And what Paul is saying here is that really, if we really want to try to find meaning and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction in this life, it's not going to be on focusing on us. It's going to be on focusing on others. And truly, even to the point of pain, because we know relationships with others can be painful. And yet Paul's saying, in spite of the pain the relationships of life are worth it because I'm, I'm following the heart of my own God, my own Savior, Jesus, who left everything, the glories of heaven, and all that he was experiencing up to that point in history some 2,000 years ago. And he was willing to leave it all behind and in a sense say no to self and die to self and come to earth as a human being to save us and to reach out to us. And Paul's saying the same thing. He says, I want to have that heart for others to where I'm waking up every day and it's not about me. And it's not about what I want. It's about truly living for others and being concerned for others and even being in pain for others, especially those who don't have a relationship with Christ. How much time do we as Christians even spend on our knees in prayer for the lost? How much are we seizing the opportunities to have conversations with people who don't know God about spiritual things? We get so self 
consumed. And I realize, folks, it's a struggle because the longer this world is in existence until Jesus comes, the more narcissistic, the more self-focused our world is going to become. And look where it's gotten us in this world with that kind of philosophy. It's exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches. But I want to show you this contrast sort of flowing out of what Paul's saying here. Keep your finger in Romans 9. Obviously, we're going to come back there. And first turn to 2 Timothy in the New Testament. The book of 2 Timothy chapter 3. This is a chapter where Paul is laying out some, some real specific characteristics of the last days. And why the last days before Jesus comes, are going to present great challenges to everyone, including the people of God. And I want to just focus on three of the 15 characteristics that Paul uses here to describe living in the last days. He says in 2 Timothy 3.1, Understand this, that in the last days, difficult, challenging times will come. And notice what the first two are. For people will be lovers of themselves. Self-absorbed and lovers of money. And then go down to the end of verse 4. They also will love pleasure more than they will love God. And we sang about loving God this morning. And yet Paul says, here's three characteristics that will drive people in the last days. They will love themselves, they will love money, and they will love pleasure. In other words, not only more than God, but more than others. It will be about them. And so we wonder even in our Christian world, in our churches, in Christianity today, even why Christians struggle with finding every day fulfillment, satisfaction, meaning to life. It's because for many of us, we have bought into the philosophy of the world. Live for self. Promote self. Pamper self. It's all about you. Now turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2. Just back a few books into the New Testament. And contrast what we've just read in 2 Timothy with now these words from Paul to the church at Philippi. And I'm going to begin in chapter 2 of Philippians, verse 3. Instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, each of you should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude toward one another that Jesus Christ had. See the contrast? Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And yet the biblical principle is live for others. Put others above yourself. Die to self just like Jesus Christ did. Have the heart for other people just like Jesus Christ had. Instead of always looking out for self, look out for others and be sensitive to them and their needs. Truly, 
have conversations and interaction with people where they genuinely could say after you left them that they were genuinely interested in me. They weren't using me for an end for themselves, but they were genuinely interested in me. And they were giving me that undivided attention, which too few times really happens in our world today, even as we interact with each other. It's one of the reasons, again, why we encourage people to come early on Sunday, come early on Tuesday night, take advantage of the opportunity to be together the couple times of week that, you know, we can and and other times too. And can I say about this group of people here, you are amazing. I want to encourage you. I've never been in 30 years of ministry around a group of people that are as caring, as sensitive towards others, uh, as willing to help and pitch in and and help others, even whether we don't know them or not. You all have that unselfish spirit and that selfless spirit. And all I can say is thank you for that. Let's continue that. And let's call others to join us and be that as well. Because what could God do with a group of people that are totally selfless? That don't live for themselves every day, but live for God and live for others. And Paul is saying here, by using himself as an example to his own countrymen, that's one of the ways you and I will find purpose and meaning and satisfaction to our lives every day is when we have that passion for others rather than it having to be about us. See, it's sort of counterintuitive to the world. How can I not pay attention to me all the time? And how can I not make it about me and yet somehow it fulfills me? Because that's the way our Creator made us. So we see back in Romans chapter 9 the passion of Paul for others. Then the second thing we see, beginning in verse 4 and 5, is he reminds his own fellow countrymen about the privileges that they had, that God had given them because He chose them to be His chosen people. He says, look at all the privileges you have as the people of God. He says, to you belong, verse 4, the adoption as sons, the glory, you've seen the glory of God, the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple worship, the promises, To them belong the patriarchs. And from them, he says, by human descent, as if it sort of transcends everything else, he says, we as Jewish people have the privilege that God chose for the Messiah, His own very Son, to be born through Jewish, a Jewish family. He says, how cool is that? And notice, at the end of verse 5, It's one of the clearest declarations of the deity of Jesus Christ found anywhere in the Word of God. Because he does mention the fact that Jesus Christ is human. From them by human descent, but then notice he says, came the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And Paul is simply saying to his Jewish brothers and sisters, do you see the privileges we had? And yet, note what he's not saying. 
He's not saying in a sense that yet all those privileges that we had didn't really give us an advantage, did it? Because in spite of all that God gave us, most of us as Jews have missed our Messiah. So what Paul is saying is that all of us then need to be careful and handle with care, if you will, those privileges that God has given us. What, has, what belongs to us, as Paul says? What has God entrusted to us? And so often in our day and age, because again, we live in a world where lack of contentment and satisfaction is just the rage. It's always, what's the next big or new thing coming down the pike that we fail to truly soak up and appreciate and even plumb the depths of what we already have because we're looking for the next thing. And Paul is using his own people as an example. He says, here's the sad fact. Instead of us as Jews realizing what God entrusted to us and truly enjoying it and being content with it, we looked past all of that and we missed our Messiah. We missed what all of this was intended to point to. If you and I really want to find fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction to life, then what we need to start learning to do more and more is to appreciate and be content with what we already have that God has entrusted to us and to enjoy it to its fullest, to literally like dig in and plumb the depths of it rather than looking past what we already have for the next thing. Because that's the philosophy of the world. And again, I say, look at where that philosophy has gotten us in this world. And he's talking here primarily about the spiritual privileges. And so I just want to remind us that I think one of the things God would say to us in fashioning this message on a very personal level to us is this. I think one of the things he would say is, Are you truly plumbing the depths, enjoying your own spiritual family? I mean, are you really taking advantage in the right way of the blessing of being part of a church family like the Oasis? Some of you are. And can I just say, keep on doing what you're doing. Others of you, You're like the person who's trying to get into the swimming pool. And instead of just diving in, and I realize it's an initial shock at the beginning, like, oh, that water's cold. And, you know, your body sort of all of a sudden like tenses and spasms. That in a few seconds, it's like, okay, okay. But see, many even Christians, when it comes to serving or ministry or getting involved or whatever, it's like I'm going to dip my toe in. Then I'm going to take two toes and I'll get my foot. And it's this slow, agonizing process. And then a lot of times even, a lot of you, no, I'm, I'm pulling back out. You know. And I think God would say to all of us about all of the things that God has given to us. Are we just taking advantage of what we already have to its fullest? 
Or are we looking past what we already have to something else? And I think Paul is saying, that's not how you find meaning in life. That's not how you find fulfillment and satisfaction and purpose, by always looking past what you already have, but by truly enjoying and wringing out, if you will, every ounce of what you already have. And finding it there. Come the first of the year, 2015, we're going to do a four-part series on contentment. And what does it mean to be content in a world of discontentment and restlessness? And that's one of the things I think Paul's saying here. Look at what you have right now. What has God entrusted to you? What belongs to you as it did to Israel? And begin to think about what what do I need to do right now to enjoy and appreciate and and take advantage of that I already have? Not that God at some point might not come along and say, now I want you to look outside of that and go down that path or go there, but, but maybe right now part of why I'm missing out is because I'm just not plumbing the depths of what I already have. And then beginning in verse 6, he talks about the purpose of God. And this is something that even for Christians can be quite upsetting. Because one of the things, and we're not going to take the time, you can do that in your own time in verses 6 through the rest of the chapter to read the entire chapter. Because it's, it's pretty lengthy. But there's a couple things Paul's laying out here. First of all, he says, yes, we have to reconcile that God is sovereign that he makes choices up for us that we have no control over. And yet there are other times where God gives us responsibility and allows us to make choices. And that they are not contradictory to each other. They actually complement and work together. We might not understand it, going back to last week's message. Can I learn to follow a God I don't always understand? But the bottom line is that. There will be choices that God gives me. There will be choices that I don't have. For instance, can I just say at this point, pardon my selfish little time here. It's so cool to be a granddad. It's so cool to be a granddad. And thank you all for your prayers and everything. But so here's the thing. When all of us were born, we didn't have a choice about our eye color and what we looked like and all the physical characteristics, whether we were going to have hair or no hair, how tall we were going to be, how small we were going to be, this and that. We, we didn't have any choice as to where we were born, who we were born to, all that. They were all choices in the sovereignty of God. We didn't choose what our strengths and Weaknesses were, we had no choice over to our abilities and all that per se, the things that come more naturally to us than, than others. But those, those were all part of the Creator's design. And one of the things that Paul is laying out here, even about Israel, is this. He says, but here's the thing about God's choices when it comes to even us on a personal level. He says, God's choices are always in concert, are always harmonious, always connected to His purpose. Whether you're talking about the nation of Israel 
or whether you're talking about you and me, the thing we have to understand that Paul's teaching here in the rest of this passage in Romans 9 is this. When God makes a choice for us that he never gave us a chance to make, it's always in connection with his purpose or design for us as well. And the other thing Paul clearly says in this passage, because he's using Israel as an example, is this. He says, and God's purposes are never thwarted by our rejection of him. For instance, God would have loved for the nation of Israel to have bowed down to Jesus and accepted Jesus as their Messiah. But that didn't happen. And yet it wasn't like their rejection caught God off guard. Oh my goodness, what am I going to do now? I'm scrambling all this. Because first of all, too, God's choices, because they're based on his purposes, unlike what we may think, God's choices for you and me are not some willy-nilly, eeny miny mo thing. Like when, like, uh, I think I'll just do this, Jeff, there. No, it was like God well had a well-thought-out plan for Jeff Royce. God had a well-thought-out, gave careful consideration to how he created you. It wasn't willy-nilly, eeny-miny-mo. And his choice then of how he made each of us is connected to his purpose and design for us. And even if a human being rejects that, the bottom line is this. God says here in Romans 9, I will still demonstrate my power through you even if you reject me and I will bring glory to myself even if you reject me. That's why he uses examples here in Romans 9 of people like Pharaoh or even the nation of Israel. God has demonstrated his power as God even though as a nation Israel has rejected Jesus as their Messiah. God has brought glory to himself through the nation of Israel down through history, even though they rejected him up to this point. And Paul's saying God did that with Pharaoh in the Old Testament. In fact, notice what he says in verse 17 about Pharaoh. He says, the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this purpose, God says, I've raised you up that I might demonstrate, display, manifest my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And God says, whether you're on board with my purpose or design for you, or whether you're not, the bottom line is this. I'm God, and I will accomplish my purpose. My purpose will stand. If you accept me, and you find and follow my purpose, then it will be better for you. But know this. Even if you say, no, I don't want your design for my life, God. I want to do my own thing in my own way. God is going to say to you, I'll still glorify myself through you. I will still demonstrate my power through you. Maybe one of the greatest examples of this in scripture is Lucifer, Satan. Yes, he rejected God's purpose and design for him as his angelic being. But God says throughout history... I will show you even through Satan that I will demonstrate my power and I will receive glory even through Satan. Because I'm God. And my purposes will not be thwarted by people's rejection, by angels' rejection, by anyone's rejection. So God is simply encouraging us then, get on board with his purpose and design because it's only when we are willing to find and follow God's purpose and design really will we find meaning, fulfillment, and satisfaction. If we live our lives 
saying, God, I don't want to know what your purpose and design is. Even though as my creator, you made me a certain way and your purpose and design will fit me perfectly, I'm still going to do my own thing. And obviously, God gives us in some areas that choice, that free will, because he's not going to force us to follow his design and purpose. Because again, as God, he will demonstrate his power and bring glory to himself through our lives, whether we follow his purpose for our lives or not. And that's what Romans 9 is all about. See, Israel up to this point has really missed out on the purpose for why God chose them in the first place to be his chosen people. Because the reason he chose them was so that they could be a light to the other nations of the world and point people to him. For the most part, they've missed out on that purpose for thousands of years. God isn't finished with Israel yet. We even see that by what's going on in the Middle East right now. But folks, know this. God wants you to find his purpose for your life. God wants you to follow his purpose and design for your life because he spent careful thought and consideration to how he created us. You can leave Romans 9 for now. I just have a couple other thoughts. I want you to go to the book of John, the Gospel of John. Chapter 21. I hope you hear my heart in this message today. Too, too often we, we live our lives without really experiencing the meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction God wants us to have even here on this broken earth. Because we live for self rather than for others. Our focus is more on us than on anyone else. Second, instead of enjoying and truly plumbing the depths of what we already have, we're always looking for something else outside of what we already have. And third, our interest isn't really in finding and following God's purpose for our lives. It's in figuring out what we want. And yet God is saying to all of us, if you really want to live life with greater meaning, greater purpose, greater fulfillment and satisfaction, if you really want to know why you were made the way you were, then start being interested in finding and following God's purpose and design. See, I, I truly believe this. For any human being who really, if God looks in your heart and knows, God, I really want to know why I was made the way I was and what, why I'm here and what's my purpose and why, you know, what's my design? I believe God will reveal it to you. But I don't believe God ever will reveal it to people where he knows in your heart you're really not interested. You're not open. You still are all about doing your own thing. Then I think God says, fine, I'm, I'm not going to waste my time revealing to you this wonderful plan and design and purpose when I know you really aren't interested in hearing it or finding it or following it. 
And then there's the question of, because of the world we live in, even as Christians, we get so caught up in comparing ourselves with others. And it's like, God, what about them? And why do you, why do you make them this way and didn't make me this way? And why are you allowing them to experience this? And I'm only experiencing this and whatever. And can I just say, one of the great things God has taught me is that when I truly want to find and follow His purpose, I've got to cease comparing myself to others and I've got to just personally follow His own will for my life. And stay focused on what He wants me to be and me to do and get my eyes in the wrong way off of others. God wants me to be looking out for others when it comes to serving and ministering and being there and helping and supporting and praying and encouraging. But God doesn't want me to have my eyes on others when it comes to questioning and comparing and being critical. And God, why this and why that? And one of the greatest passages that illustrates this is found in the Gospel of John. In chapter 21, the very last chapter where after Jesus' resurrection, he's restoring Peter. And he's saying to Peter, Peter, in spite of your failure, in spite of you denying you, whatever, Jesus is saying, I want you to know I want to use you, Peter, which would be such an encouragement to anyone who's ever failed, because we've all failed. But notice even in the midst of Peter's restoration, what happens here. I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 of John 21. Jesus had just told Peter, Peter, my will for your life, my design, my purpose is that one day you're going to die for your faith. And and you're going to die in a pretty painful way. It's not going to be very pleasant. Notice he says up there, even in verse 18, he says, there's going to come a point when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will tie you up and bring you where you do not want to go. But that's my purpose. That's my design. That's how I'm going to demonstrate my power. And that's how I'm going to bring glory to myself, Peter. Are you willing to follow me? Take up that cross and follow me? Notice what Peter says. Now, Jesus said this to indicate clearly by what kind of death Peter was going to glorify God. And after he said this, Jesus told Peter, follow me. Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, which is John, right? This was a disciple who had leaned back against Jesus' chest at the meal and asked, Lord, who is the one who's going to betray you? So when Peter saw John, he asked Jesus, Lord, what about him? I think that's why we identify with Peter, doesn't it? Jesus just said, Peter, here's my design and purpose. Besides this, he said, one of my designs and purposes... This is what's going to happen to you when you get a little older. This is the death that you're going to glorify me by. And Peter's looking around, John, John, what about him, Lord? Is he going to die as horrible a death as I'm going to have to die? You know. And notice Jesus' response. Jesus replied in verse 22, If I want him to live until I come back, What concern is that of yours? You follow me. Wow. See, too often, even as Christ followers, 
We miss God's purpose for our lives, His design for our lives, because we can't stop comparing ourselves with others and how God made others compared to us and what, again, He's allowed them to do and He's not allowed us to do and all of this. And Jesus is trying to, He's trying to get our head, if you will, in His hands and lovingly take our, our head into His hands and look into His eyes and say, Jeff, that's my will for them. Don't concern yourself about that. That's my design and purpose for them. That's how they're going to find meaning and fulfillment if they follow that. But here's what I want you to do, Jeff. Focus on what I want you to do. And get your eyes off others. And stop comparing yourselves. Follow me. When we do that, we're going to begin to find meaning and fulfillment and satisfaction like we never have before. Because we're at a point in our Christian life where we go, you know what, God? I trust you. I finally have realized as my creator, you know me even better than I do. You know everything about me. You know me inside and out. And the way you created me, exactly how you made me, you connected exactly that with your design and purpose for my life. And if I will just be willing to trust you, I will realize that like no other way I can experience this, that that the way you created me and how you created me is going to perfectly fit and mesh with your design and purpose for my life. See, God isn't going to take all this time to create us a certain way and then call us to do something that doesn't fit the way we were designed. That's why I say, some Christians were called to be missionaries and go to the mission field. Some Christians weren't. And I used to hear even in the church I grew up, it's like, oh, I hope, I hope God doesn't call me to be a missionary because, man, I'd die over there in those foreign countries or whatever. And I had to learn, even in my own spiritual growth, if that's how God made you, then he won't call you to be a missionary. Because that doesn't fit you. The people that should be over there doing, God made them for that. They're like as happy as a pig in slop. And see, that's something even as Christians we have a hard time understanding. Is How can some Christians just be so content and so fulfilled and whatever in doing this or that? It's because that's how God made them. And they're just following God's design and purpose for their lives. One other scripture. Matthew 11. Very familiar scripture that reinforces this whole point. Matthew 11. Notice what Jesus says beginning in verse 28, the last three verses of Matthew 11. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. But that rest comes by being willing to take my yoke 
on you and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear and my load is not hard to carry. Jesus is simply teaching there a very important principle. He says to each of his followers, I made you, I created you. And I have a unique, well-fitted responsibility that I have designed just for you. And when you are willing to find my purpose and design and follow it, you will be in that sweet spot of life even down here on earth. And nothing you ever do, nothing you ever experience will sort of hit that sweet spot like my yoke will. Have you found that yoke? Are you even open to the yoke that Jesus has for you? I hope so. Because if you want to really live and find meaning and satisfaction and fulfillment in life, that's the way to do it. Stay with me. I know we normally have the transition to the last song. You start closing your Bibles and sort of checking out. Stay with me. I'm going to ask at this time our worship team to come up. But I want you to stay with me and listen to what I'm about to say. I hope that the Oasis is not a place only where you can be taught the truth of God, but where that truth and those principles are are being modeled. Where you have examples that you can look to and go, oh, that's what it's like, okay. And for instance... I believe with all my heart for the last 30 years of my life as a pastor, I have been doing exactly what God designed me to do and be. So when people ask me, hey, how are things going over to the Oasis and how are you enjoying pastor in the church? I tell them, I'm having the time of my life. And it's the truth. Not only because I found that and have been following that, but because I get to do it with you all. And you are a wonderful group of people to pastor. But I'm not the only one. I could go on and on. Pastor Chad. Man, right now in this season of life, God made him to be a youth pastor and to train and teach young people. And you can just watch him in his ministry and know, yep, he's following his design and purpose. Nicole, every week. This gal was made by God to be a worship leader. If you knew her heart, like I know her heart, like some others know her heart, you know, she's just doing what God created her and designed her to do. Crystal. First of all, it's like, thank God for Crystal. I couldn't be over there with all those children every Sunday and Tuesday. She likes it. Again, in my mind, I'm like, God, how can that be that there are people like her and, and, and Anne and Lois and all of her helpers? And it's like, they like being around all those children because that's how their creator created them to be. Our elders, thank God for Scott and Tony and Dave and our ministry leaders. Our ministry leaders 
They were made for the ministries that they're leading. I believe that with all my heart. Or they wouldn't be in those positions. And all I'm saying is this. Not only is God teaching us about this, but I think God gives us examples through our life to say, look, I want to show you what a person looks like when they found that sweet spot. When they took that yoke of mine and put it on themselves and just followed my design and purpose for their lives. Look at them. Not that their life is perfect. Not that they don't have struggles and trials and don't have down days. We all do. But that for the most part, I think we would all say, there's nothing like doing the will of God. Nothing like it. I can't answer what His will is for your life. I don't know, because first of all, it's none of my business. That's between you and God. And I just hope today that as we sing and share this last song with one another and with our Savior, that we will be open to say, God, like never before, I want to know, I want to follow what your will is for my life. Let's stand, let's pray, and then let's sing. God, I I pray today that for this group of people here in this auditorium, Lord, we would allow you to work in our lives today. You won't make us take that yoke. You won't make us, force us to follow your plan, your design for our lives. But you call us to come and follow you. And even as Jesus did with Peter, you... you, You say, when we say, well, Lord, what about so-and-so? You gently but very firmly look into our eyes and say, if that's what I want for their life, what is that to you? Follow me. Will we follow Jesus today in his design and purpose for our lives? He came and paid it all for us, not only so that we would have forgiveness of sins and salvation and an eternity in heaven. He came to bring fulfillment and meaning and satisfaction into our lives right here and now. We don't have to wait till we die or we're raptured and go to heaven. We can begin to live that abundant life right here and now when we find and follow his design and purpose. Let's follow the Jesus who paid it all for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.